0: and welcome to the Inside Out Security Show. I'm your host, Cindy Ng, and today I'm joined by security experts who will introduce themselves. And I'm wondering if you were affected by the Amazon Web Service outage, and on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst, how would you rate the outage?
1: This is Forrest. I was actually affected, I would say, like a negative 5. It caused some problems with me loading like web forums and stuff like that, so I actually got more work done, to be completely honest. This is Mike. I was trying to actually deploy an application that was dependent
2: upon a bunch of S3 things, so I had to delay that. So, a 9,
3: maybe? I didn't lose any money from it, so I guess not, like, maybe only a 7. Hi, this is Killian. Honestly, it didn't affect me really at all. I was working and doing my normal stuff that day, and I wasn't browsing the web, so shocking to everybody, I'm sure. So you're saying I'm lazy.
2: That's what you're saying, Killian? Because I was trying to do something that was on the web instead of, like, in my own, like, play
1: network I had set up? You don't browse enough. That's what's going on here, man. You just don't browse the internet enough.
0: So the widespread outage, it was caused by a failure at the AWS North Virginia facility. And the Atlantic actually did a story on them last year. And I thought it was interesting that the data center is next to a pet resort. I thought it was also really interesting that it said that up to 70% of all internet traffic worldwide travels through this region. And we like to say that we want to treat data like money. I, I'm wondering about the physical security of this place. It reminds me of our industry wide debate on whether or not you should store stuff on the cloud. Uh, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on what happened. And Killian, you found an article that talked about what happened. Take it away.
3: I, I think this is one of the cases. I think we actually talked about it um, one or two shows ago. Somebody makes a mistake and bad things happen. What did we do? And that was exactly what happened more or less here. Um, Amazon came out with their statement and or sys admin i don't know maybe he was overworked maybe he was rushing but he kind of fat fingered it he made a mistake typing a command they're supposed to delete i think a handful of machines or do some cleanup and it ended up taking down quite a bit and one of the funniest things I, i found in the article was some of the comments like hey we haven't restarted these things in a really really long time it just didn't come back up as quick as we thought it was going to which which i just i find really funny but i only because I know so many people, IT guys and, and sysadmins, that pride themselves on, oh, I haven't restarted this box since 1998. <laughs> and I, I think it's something we can all relate to. And as kind of regimes change and people coming in and out of the organization, there's always that sense of like, hey, we have this weird message. Is there anybody still around that remembers when we set this system up? No? Uh-oh.
1: Yeah, I mean, that kind of ties into patch management when you're talking about infrastructure. Honestly, restart management. Do you know what I mean? Like I would say you got a patch window maybe once a month, something like that. Even if you don't need to patch, just reboot everything once orderly. But in a sense, just trying to keep everything fresh. I mean, it sounds kind of nebulous, but in my experience, the more often you restart even a server, with some exceptions, a lot of times you're just in a much more healthy state, whether or not you need patches or not.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree. There's there seems to be a lot of resistance, and it and maybe it's a point of pride. Like I've engineered this system so well, it never needs to be rebooted. But you can take that for what it's worth. <laughs> well,
2: I, well, I think this sort of goes to the the DevOps thing. The DevOps is that you treat servers like cattle, not like pets. That you just willy nilly kill them and then get a new one and bring in the next herd of servers, versus like what you're describing, like. Oh, here's my good Bessie. She's been here. We haven't rebooted her for six years.
0: Is that why they call data center farms? Or, or yeah, maybe server farms. Yeah.
1: I mean, to tell you the truth, I, I think part of that, just the attitude, just comes from the reality of system administration today versus before. When you had physical machines, you had to treat them like pets. You know what I mean? You had to baby them. Now, when you're talking about virtual hosts, and you could spin up templates and make a new one in half an hour. I mean, you're just in a position where you can do that, right? So, I mean, its I feel like the attitude is changed based on the reality.
2: I don't know if you guys knew this, but when my daughter's laptop died, I told her that... I didn't tell her it died. I told her it went to the server farm upstate where it's living a a good life in Iraq and someone takes care of it and gets lots of time to play with its friends.
0: What's like the... The debate about people, what do you hear are people's concerns about whether or not the cloud is safe? When we go to trade shows all the time, I hear that, mm, I don't know if we want to put stuff on the cloud. Should that be people's concerns or it's something, just another thing you need to protect?
3: I would say that it's just another thing you need to protect. Part of it, I think the fear is is very psychological. It's relinquishing control, physical control to a certain degree. Even if it's a, a virtual server or something like that, and even if you don't actually have physical access, there are plenty of places that have data centers somewhere. Even in one of my previous roles, I did a lot of work on the servers, but I never actually was in the physical state with the server anyway. But I think it's just, it's very psychological. Like, hey, I have control of this. If I need to make some change to the infrastructure, I know what's out there. I know what it's running on, and I can if I have to. And when you entrust it to the cloud, you have kind of only, a, a you have the window that they provide you into it. But I think that makes people a little bit nervous. I was going to say, I think there's two layers to this. One is
2: when we talk about this in the context of web applications versus internal network applications, there's a really big difference there. Like, I, I think there's still a legitimate case to be made that, okay, we're a hospital. We have all of these MRI gigabytes and gigabytes and terabytes of MRI scans that we need to keep on site. We have a sand. Let's like this. This makes sense for a variety of reasons to keep this here. I think when it's, hey, I'm gonna stand up my little website for my company or this web app, it makes a lot less sense to, hey, I'm gonna put this in a rack and then separate it out, but it's still gonna be here in the hospital. So I think where to make the cut is where the responsibilities are and to where it can be most effective, not in terms of control, but in terms of uptime and like what you wanna get out of it as a business objective. There's been a lot of like Monday morning quarterbacking as far as like, oh man, this is Amazon S3, I'm glad I kept everything on my little machine here. And of course, when their little machine's power supply dies and it goes offline for a day, no one cares. It doesn't get written up in all the papers and things. So I, I think it's just a very different situation.
3: There's and I, I agree with you Mike completely on that point and I think there's a, a number of different things to consider too. Accessibility is definitely one of them. If the the things on site and it you know goes offline for some reason, typically there's somebody that can run down there and flip the power back on, something like that. Uh, you know, in your MRI situation, it makes it easy for manage uh, manageability. The other half of it, too, is if you look at what most of these cloud providers offer is, is incredibly high amounts of reliability because the data is replicated all over the place at different sites in a lot of instances. So if something does go wrong, typically they have a very good backup plan where you know, one of the other sites will seamlessly pick it up as long as they have a replicated copy of the data. So it, it depends on, on, I guess, kind of value and business needs more than anything else. There's this
2: concept that came out of more of like automation with robotics, which was that it's not, it's not that a robot's going to come in and take everybody's job. It's that a robot's going to come in, it's going to make the top two people out of the team of 20 10 times more effective, and so those other 18 people aren't going to have jobs. And I think we're seeing a lot of that happening in the, the admin space, where tools, the automation tools, the scripts, and how everything is working are making sysadmins wildly more effective. And to let them control a much greater amount of uh, services, in much less time, and I think that's very threatening to some people. But at the same time, the complexity is off the charts with this stuff, so uh, I think it's needed. But I, I think that that's a lot of the tension as well. My my job is to hit the power switch on the server when it has an issue. It's not my job to provide services to the company. So I think it's I think it's a real difference in thinking.
0: So another kind of security, physical security, I'm thinking about a lot now are cars. We've talked about it a couple of times, but I feel like the article we just read really put things in perspective. So there was a guy who sold his car, and then he got a new one, and he was still able to control his previous car controls. And that his old one was still listed on his app, and he waited for the listing to go away, but it never did. And he looked a little closer and realized that the car makers, they never even thought about what happens when you sell off the car to another owner. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that happened. What was the most shocking for for you guys in the article? Maybe Mike doesn't have this problem because he has a bunch of fake Teslas uh, (laughs) sitting in his garage.
2: See, that's my secret. I don't even have a garage. So there's nothing. They're just out on the street. They get stolen all the time. So I I think we talk about design sometimes. and To me, this is big D design. Thinking about the life cycle of these and thinking about how the applications need to work for the life cycle of them more than just like a fancy demo in a showroom. And that that really is what it seems like, is that... This just wasn't even thought of. Oh, like oh yeah, people are gonna sell the cars, and then a second person's gonna have them. Like, what does that mean for these situations?
0: How is that even possible, though? We have this one car in the family. It's my uncle bought it, then my cousin bought it, then another cousin bought it. I just don't understand why people don't think of this.
2: You know, they think of they think of the physical object. They don't think of uh, a car as a platform for multiple services. They don't think of it as like oh. Well, my Spotify is still logged into this crazy internet connected radio uh, that's in the car and that it goes along with it. It's a new way of thinking about all this stuff.
1: I wonder if there's sort of an angle of like non-transferable licenses. Like back in like the 90s, you would buy a CD with like software on it. It was really no big deal if you just took that CD somewhere else and, you know, used it again. But now like there's single activations, like our cars going to go that way where they're like, you know, you don't have the license to transfer this to another owner or something like that. Like, is there an operating system license you need to have in addition to the hardware?
2: Yes, a- absolutely. I know on Teslas, that's actually come up where they have a terms of service. And part of it is that you, know, like, you don't actually own the code. that you're, It's just licensed the same way as anything else. And it comes with restrictions on uh, reverse engineering
3: it and different things. I feel like this has come up a couple times, though. When Microsoft launched or was going to launch their Xbox One, whatever, a couple of years ago, there was that giant hullabaloo that they were going to basically do away with physical copies of games, give you some, you know, limited number of, you can share this with your your family a couple times before the license ran out. And the used game industry had an absolute meltdown because if you look at companies like um, GameStop is notorious for it. But they make so much of their profit on re- buying used copies of games and reselling them and you know, at markup prices, that it was a huge revenue stream. And I feel like cars operate in a very similar model. Um, I don't know if people keep cars longer than they used to in the past, but there's still a massive industry around kind of trading up cars. So it's, it's not like this is not unprecedented in a number of different industries.
1: Yeah, and I mean, with games, it was kind of enabled by, I don't know what you call it, proprietary cartridges. You know what I mean? Where it was a physical medium, it didn't require installation of kind of more universally understandable software. Whereas now, yeah, I mean, sort of that exact thing happened with games, where once it became more universal that's when it was able to be turned into a, it requires the phone home to activate the license and and whatnot. Whereas previous before with like the physical medium, it just wasn't possible. And in the future, as maybe the physical medium of other things change into something that is a little bit more nebulous, like actual just software that can be universally understood. That's, I would argue the probably the direction we're going to go. I think just as
2: humans, we, we value the physical, like, you know, we're physical beings. And so across like all areas of industry and commerce, There's this bias towards things that are physical where you think of like a a Kindle versus buying a paper book. And the actual physicality of printing the book and shipping it around is like a tenth of the price. But, you know, if you ask the average consumer, they're like, oh, well, it costs like nothing now because you don't have to print it. They think just the words as concepts in it should be
3: half the price when in reality that's 90% of it. But it it doesn't feel that way. Well, one of these days, Mike, we'll be able to just upload our conscious to the net and, you know, we'll live out all the cyberpunk fantasies.
0: (laughs) I was thinking where just people are trying to monetize things as quickly as possible. And they'll think, well, by the time they'll be done with it, we'll figure out a fix or be able to delist this car after it's sold. Uh, Another piece of toy, not a car, but a cuddly toy, they got a lot of bad press last week for having voice recordings of their kids and family and they held it for ransom. And then now they learn that you can take a webpage, connect it to the Cloud Pets toy via Bluetooth without authentication and start controlling the gadget and recording from its built-in microphone and and I was just wondering what your thoughts on, on this piece is, because it's a smaller piece of toy. It's a different kind of security thing. Like, I'm thinking about what Mike's going to be like, well, what's the harm? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Whenever I read these articles, I just oh, I just want to be so snarky. I mean, wouldn't it be a novel concept to talk to your own kids instead of leaving your cuddle pet to, to talk to them for you?
2: As someone who has occasionally needed to travel, like, it's great that we have all these technological things now. Or like even my my father-in-law had a really bad brain injury last month. I was in the hospital for 10 days. And part of like what kept him going and positive was every day he could FaceTime with his grandkids. And that's a very easily doable possible thing now. And I can imagine lots of scenarios where in this Cloud Pets, it really seemed and part of the reason it's cloud is that, you know, if I go on a business trip, I could call in to the Cloud Pet, leave a message, and my daughter could come and hit its belly and hear me talk. That's pretty cool. There's lots of parents in lots of situations of, like, can't be around their kids all the time. So it, it, it seems like a neat idea. The execution of it was horrible. <laughs> It was <laughs> awful, and we actually spoke about this vulnerability in a past episode, where it was a manga DB database that was stood up and had no security, so anyone could just get in and do whatever they wanted with it. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's not even it's not even
3: a flaw. It's just it didn't have a password. <laughs> just just in case everybody's not familiar, it's basically. The Bluetooth is kind of always on and more or less is always listening to be paired, I I believe is, is what it is. And if you have this, use one of the Bluetooth web APIs,
1: you can just connect to the thing if you happen to be in range. So... Yeah, they just didn't bother, really. I think this is one of those things I, I feel like whatever like internet of things kind of and security around that comes up, I kind of say the same thing, where it's basically that security won't be there until like market demand for security is there. Do you know what I mean? Because the people who produce these want to get them to market as soon as they can, be the first one to market and really make the money, and if the market isn't demanding security, then that's something that they sometimes seem to think that they can just skip. And they don't add it in until there's demand for it, which stinks.
0: So do you think that this will be the end of Cloud Pets? They'll probably
1: try to secure it and then remarket it. I imagine they'll, they'll want to try and hang on. But I feel like if you lose trust of parents, I feel like that's a pretty quick, uh, a quick way to lose uh, market share.
0: If you don't get caught and you just start collecting people's data and stuff, if somehow for some reason that vulnerability is there and you don't get caught, you're, you'll probably not do anything because no one's complaining
1: That's
3: exactly what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think they're probably going to lose any market share.
1: Well, they're they're
0: still
2: for sale. I'm looking at them right now on Amazon. Like they're they're still for sale. I bet it's all
0: getting one for Christmas.
2: How many stars do they have? What are what are the ratings like right now? That's a great question. None of these seem to have. This one has four stars.
0: (laughs) Do you believe in those ratings anyway?
1: Sometimes. I mean, you got to read them. Do you know what I mean? To like see if people's like experiences seem like genuine and thought out. You know what I mean? Some people just like have no real input. Be like, I bought this cloud pet to talk to my
2: daughter and then someone in Kansas left me a message about it and I was (laughs) a little freaked out. So... I didn't realize I was getting an interactive horror experience out of this as well. It's five stars.
3: At least Ah. uh, somebody in Kansas talking and the thing hasn't uh, started talking by itself. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: so, you know, earlier we were talking about automation and how these systems and should you be in the cloud and how these things work. I I think this is a great example of someone who tried to set this stuff up themselves instead of using something like uh, Amazon has similar services to this but you cannot set it up in the same boneheaded way as installing MongoDB on a virtual private server with no with no password. That's where a lot of this lies. It's really complexity management. And if you know using the cloud can reduce that complexity, that's great. If it increases it, not great. <laughs> but in the case of Cloud Pits, I wonder like what percentage of parents even know this happened. Like 1% of the parents that bought this I imagine it's just minuscule. Yeah. I don't think it's hurting them at all.
0: It kind of goes back to what you said, Mike. What's the harm, too? Maybe you get a recall for like a security problem. Then it might, there might be alarms going off.
2: Well, this gets to sort of, is there a fundamental right to privacy? Because that's, that's really what's at stake here. That it's not, it's not like I was leaving a credit card number for my daughter. They get stolen and then there's this financial harm. I think it is incredibly creepy that anyone could be listening to like me telling my daughter goodnight and not to hit her brother on the head with a book that, you know, that that's just weird. Like, I I don't want that. But when you say what's the harm, I I think there is a harm sort of to society and our our personal interests, Mm -hmm. though, it's hard to it's hard to put like a credit card number value on it.
0: Right. So I want to talk about that drone. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm, I was reading the article correctly. So you can pay an insider to infect the system with like a USB thing. And then every blink off of the hard drive, the LED indicator, it can leak out sensitive information to the drone that's outside. And that apparently you can move as much as like 4,000 bits a second that's pretty astounding. Did I read that right?
3: Yeah, that arc was, I, I thought it was really cool. I mean, everyone kind of just assumes that an air gap network is the most secure network. And in a lot of cases it is because you can't have somebody riding over the wire. But there are still ways to get data out. And yeah, you're exactly right, Cindy. This was a, a proof of concept that some researchers did where they were able to um, get that little blinking hard drive light that everybody just ignores to actually transmit data to, to a camera watching. In this case, it was on a drone monitoring. <clears data. throat> it's. I just thought it was fascinating. It's, it's such an
1: interesting way to leak data. I think it just goes to show what we really need to be doing is building light gap systems, <laughs> not just air <their> gap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was really cool how it said that it can blink so fast that your eye can't even tell that it's blinking. That's like major trickery.
1: I like how that could basically be like, I don't know, especially like some like old workstations or desktops. Basically where like the light is like kind of on its last legs and like it's like maybe not responding as quickly as you would hope or like there's crap in front of it. I wonder if that would like could really actually be the thing that holds up like some kind of actual like data exfiltration is somebody's poor workstation hygiene habits.
2: We we don't do a lot of book recommendations on this show, but has anyone read Cryptnemonicon by Neil Stevenson?
0: No. We don't read <laughs>
2: Well, it, I think honestly, it would be of interest to almost anyone who's listening to this because it covers a lot of aspects of practical cryptography and has like a neat like encoding system uh, that you can use with a pack of cards to share data and lots of stuff. But in it, one of the main characters does something real similar to this, where he his, the room where he's in is bugged, and so to get, to run this like computer calculation and then read it himself, he makes the cap slot key blink. On his keyboard in Morse code to figure out what the the answer is, but not let anyone who's spying on him figure out what it is at the same time. So yeah, some light some light reading for the weekend. So isn't the book like a thousand pages? It is huge. It, it, okay. It's right. it's an awesome book. It's like Band of Brothers and Mr. Robot
1: put together in one book. What portion of it is pictures though? That's what I need to know if I want to read it. <laughs>
3: Well, what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to bug uh, one of Mike's uh, Cloud Pets things and just as he's reading it, I'm just going to listen in. <laughs> yes, I'm going to I'm going
2: to I'm going to hook up Audible to Cloud Pets and just like read out <laughs> an entire book over little Mitzi the kitten.
0: Back to something more serious. So like there's an HBR article again about board of directors aren't concerned about cybersecurity. We talked about it briefly last week, but I'm kind of just alarmed by the contradictory statements that they're that's out there like they're not concerned and they're not ready but it's their biggest challenge and then to be f- to be fair in terms of mindshare cyber security they're competing against regulatory challenges their reputation enterprise business the supply chain keeping their investors happy that's a lot of just stuff to keep track of and I don't know out of all the different things that we've we've talked about today what would you tell the board of directors like how would you sell cybersecurity and and educate them I don't
3: think that it's a separate thing and I don't think we can treat it like a separate entity anymore it cybersecurity is part and parcel with the rest of it if you have a failing in cybersecurity you can affect all of those other different categories um you can damage your brand. If your system goes down, you can affect the supply chain. If you have a breach, you could affect competition if um, you divulge company secrets or IP. It's not a discrete category anymore. It's really a foundation for a lot of these other things. Um, and, and that article is pretty interesting, too, that in some of the ratings, they rated like IT and, and innovation much, much higher than cybersecurity. But it, it all goes together. I mean, we can kind of talk about the, the car thing again in terms of innovation. You know, they're so hyped up to to innovate and to be the first that they don't think about security. But I think from a board's perspective, this needs to be something that they ask every time they have this discussion because it's it's so intertwined with our society anymore that it can't be separated out. That's the way that I, I look at, and I think that 's the only way that we can sell it that revenue, that growth, that profit, that supply chain, that actual property is, is all tied together with cybersecurity.
0: and if they had a problem with the cloud pet thing that's what makes it more personal life and if you, it needs to be relevant to their lives
3: so i 'm going to take a, a page out of the Mike Buckby uh, cybersecurity playbook here, and i 'm going to ship all of the board members cloud pets. So that I can listen in <laughs> to their meetings, get that inside information, and make some stock trades. There's there's <laughs> a Excellent free word. there's a free tip for all
1: uh all the bad guys out there. <laughs> that's like the new superbed 4. <laughs> so that's gonna be they're make they're gonna make tons of money in insider trading through cloud pets. We can get you know Richard Pryor back. Uh, we'll just get a digital hologram.
0: That time again, tool of the week, Mike. What's the tool you want to share with everyone?
3: This tool is called Chaos Monkey.
2: And I'm mentioning it as we started off this by talking about AWS. And it is a tool, open source tool from Netflix. And so Netflix is one of the largest consumers of AWS services. And they did not go down during this AWS outage. And they have what they call their principles of chaos engineering. And in the context of the previous metaphor about you know treating servers like cattle or treating them like pets, Chaos Monkey is something that would randomly kill one of your cattle and would just randomly wipe out servers, change the configurations of things in a way that would let you test the resiliency of your overall systems. And so I, it's really interesting for that, both as sort of a conceptual... But also is a very practical thing where you run this code and it will take care of these things for you and simulate all these different outages or attacks or different uh, things. So whether or not you're directly using it, there's a really cool principles of chaos engineering a sort of manifesto that they wrote along with this that I think everyone would benefit from reading as well. So that's the tool of the week.
3: You know what? That sounds like the plot of a, a horror movie or a fallout vault experiment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> A monkey killing cattle that's actually linked to servers. That's
1: That's got vault Tech Engineering written all over it, actually. <laughs> Absolutely right.
0: Thanks to Mike, Killian, Forrest, all our listeners for joining us today. If you want to follow us on Twitter to find some of the stories we're discussing, you can find us at InfoSec underscore podcast. Thanks, and we'll meet up again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye guys.